uh, Bible, please open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. One American poet says, Enthusiasm is the mother of effort. Without it, nothing great was ever achieved. Enthusiasm is the mother of effort, and without it, nothing great was ever achieved. I want you to think and reflect upon your life for just a moment. And I, I ask you, are, are there any signs or any hints of enthusiasm there? Husbands and wives, is there any enthusiasm about your marriage, about your families? Kids, teens, do you have enthusiasm in your life about your family, about your life, about school, sports, whatever it is that you do for fun? Are you excited about it? In the places where you live and operate from day to day, does enthusiasm ever pay you a visit? In your jobs, your relationships, your health. What about your church and your responsibility towards the church? Is enthusiasm there on your part, on my part? As we continue to look at the, the grace of stewardship this morning, Paul is going to talk about enthusiasm in the context of stewardship. He's going to show us its impact. And it's going to show us its limits. So if you have your Bible, open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verses 1 through 5. This is God's word. Now it is unnecessary for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred most of them up. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find you are not ready, we will be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised, so that they, so they may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, as I come to your truth, I pray that your spirit will move. I pray that he will speak through me and to me. Uh, I pray that he will meet us where we are. Um, you know what we need to hear. You know what we're dealing with. And we need the Holy Spirit to apply truth to our life because we can't do it apart from him. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Last week we talked about, Paul talked about the church's responsibility and role in stewardship, which is to oversee and to collect the funds and offerings that are given to the church. And the church is supposed to have integrity and honesty and trustworthiness, trustworthiness as it oversees and handles the funds of the church. And you know, Paul wanted the Corinthians to know that they could trust Titus and the other brothers that he was sending to them. He says in verse 24, chapter 8, 
So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Paul's boasting of the Corinthians was one of the impacts of their enthusiasm. That was one of the impacts of it. You see, and that's what we're going to look at first this morning, the impact of enthusiasm. Now, it's unnecessary for me to write to you, brothers, about the ministry of the saints, for I know your readiness. Paul told them that it was unnecessary and even redundant for him to write about the ministry for the saints. He did not want to stir them to give or to, 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 to motivate them to give. He himself knew their readiness. Now, this is the fourth time in this section that Paul has used this term readiness. He used it in chapter 8, verses 11 through 12, where he says, So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desire may be matched by your completing of it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. The same term is used there. And again, in, in chapter 8, verse 19, the term has been translated goodwill. He says, this act of grace that has been administered by us for the glory of God and to show our goodwill. This term that has, can also mean willingness. It can also mean zeal. It can also mean eagerness. The point is that it is highlighting the Corinthians' enthusiasm about participating in the relief of the saints. They were excited to do it. You see, readiness to do something implies a quickness, a promptness. A eagerness to do something means you have enthusiasm about it. You're excited about it. And Paul knew their enthusiasm so much so that he boasted about it to the churches of Macedonia. Their enthusiasm revealed their desire and their intention to help the poor saints back in Jerusalem. But how did Paul know this? How do you think he knew their enthusiasm? The Corinthians told him about it. You see, they wrote Paul a letter. And First Corinthians talk about that. They wrote Paul a letter asking Paul's opinion on several issues and concerns that they had within their church. You see, the First Corinthians, Paul dealt with two types of issues. It was oral reports from Corinthians, because you know they had issues in the church. We all know Corinthians. They had a bunch of issues. But the other things he was dealing with were the things that they wrote to him about. And in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Every time he addressed one of their concerns, he used that phrase, Now concerning this issue, not concerning that issue. And one of the concerns they wrote to him about, and he addressed, was a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Listen to what he told them. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have directed all the churches of Galatia, Galatia, so also you, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. So who initiated this? They did. They wrote to Paul saying, we want to participate. We want to give. So give us directions on, on how we can do that. 
Give us instructions on what we are to do to participate in this offering. What are we to do? He told them on the first day of every week, each of you are to put something aside and store it up as he prospers so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul took notice of their enthusiasm. He boasted about it. Told the, the people of Macedonia that, that the church in Achaia was already ready since last year. They wrote this. This all took place a year ago. And now in Paul's mind, their enthusiasm should have led to the completion of the offering. It should now be ready. And Paul was confident that it was ready. The second impact of enthusiasm that it stirred and excited the people of Macedonia. Paul told them, your zeal, your zeal here has actually stirred them up, has motivated them to participate for the poor, in the poor saints in Jerusalem. Now, if you remember back in chapter 8, Paul talked about the Macedonians. He used them as an example to the Corinthians. He told them he wanted to share with them about the work of God's grace in the Corinthians' life. But now he reveals that God actually used the Corinthians to stir the Macedonians to give. And what does all this mean? It means God uses his people to help each other in times of need, but also to motivate each other to do the things God has called us to do in the kingdom. It does both. Now, what about me? What does this mean for my life? What does this mean for us this morning in 2014? What is the impact of your enthusiasm? Do you have any passion, any zeal for anything? Our enthusiasm, it reveals what is important to us, our priorities. All of us have, all of us should have enthusiasm about our faith, our family, our friends, our jobs, our health, taking care of the least of these. We should have it. When it comes to stewardship inside the church, is that same enthusiasm there, that same zeal, that same passion. The same passion you have for football or wherever it is that you love. Do you have that same zeal when it comes to the body of Christ? Each member, when they joined our church, took a vow to support the church in her work of worship. See, I know that because I read you the vow if you joined the church. See, I remember because I asked you the question. And I can remember everyone said, yes. I support the church in this work and the worship. I think I need to start recording it so I can play it back. <laughs> and, and, re, and remember, stewardship is not, a, just about, it's not about just money. It involves three things. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. Those three things. Involve, that's, that's what makes up stewardship. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. And, and when we take an honest look at, at our life in those three T's, what, what do they look like in your life in relationship to the church that you belong to? What does it look like? Now, too much participation in a church is not healthy. That's, that's not good. And too little participation is not healthy either. 
that none of us can do everything and none of us should do nothing. We all have to find our balance for you as an individual and for you as a family. I can't tell you that. I can't sit up here and tell you, you need to do that. You need to do this. You need to show up for that. I can't do that. And I'm not going to do that. That's between you, God, and your family. You have to do it. You have to make those decisions. And it's going to look different from family to family. It's going to look different from individual to individual. Now, if you, if you feel like, well, I'm doing more than they do, and you're going to get mad about it, you need to go to Jesus. You got Because you, we never know what's going on in people's life. And, and people know if they're not doing enough. They know. <laughs> the Spirit's heavy upon them, and he'll convict them of it. So we, know, we all know. I play offensive linemen in high school for the Swainsboro Tigers. And each Friday night before the game, the coaches would give us sneaker bars to eat. Every Friday night. Do you know why? Why would they give us sugar before the game? The sugar rush. That's why they gave it to us. So we can have this quick burst of energy. Now, what's the downside of any sugar high? You're going to crash. You're going to burn out. You see, enthusiasm, when it's not anchored in a firm foundation, is just a sugar high. Okay. Enthusiasm. If it's not anchored in a firm foundation, it's nothing more than just a sugar high. You're going to crash. You're going to burn. You're going to end up going to another church. If it's not anchored in a firm foundation. Oh, it starts out well. It starts out good. There's excitement. There's passion. There's zeal. But the sugar will wear off. You will come crashing down. And think about it. Every New Year's resolution starts out with what? Enthusiasm. Every New Year's resolution that I'm going to do it, my golly, this year I'm going to do it. And two weeks later, the sugar's off. You crashed and burned. When you visit this church, you may have enthusiasm about our worship, about our diversity, about our size about our ministries. But enthusiasm alone is never a sign of lasting commitment. Never a sign of lasting commitment. It's important, but there's a limit to our enthusiasm. And this is what Paul is going to show us next, beginning in verse 4. He says, Sorry, verse 3. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Now, I find this passage very interesting because on one hand, Paul told the Corinthians, I know your enthusiasm. I know you're going to be ready. I'm actually boasting about it. But now on this side, it seems like he's not sure. (laughs) But just in case, I'm going to send the brothers anyway. 
Now, if I'm reading this and I'm interpreting, I'm like, what? I thought you said you believed in me. So why are you sending these guys to spy on me? Why are you sending these guys to nag me? Didn't I write you a letter saying I was going to give? Why are you sending them? Why can't you just leave good alone, Paul? What is this showing us? Does it, does this mean he doesn't trust him? I don't think so. One thing we do know that was, that what happened in Corinth is that they did have false teachers in their midst. And those false teachers were causing a lot of problems, particularly about um, Paul's reputation. They were trying to discredit Paul. And so some of those false teachers could have had an influence on some of the members there. Because Paul loved them. It's clear from this letter in 1 Corinthians and this, and this letter that he had a deep concern for them, a fatherly pastoral concern for them, that he was not taking advantage of them. But he still wanted to send the brothers. And I think he sent them for the purpose of shepherding them. And I think he also sent them because he believed in Genesis 3. That our enthusiasm is never a sign of lasting commitment. I know that's true in my life. What about yours? Because even us as believers, we still have issues. Right? Don't we? We all get sidetracked in our priorities. Or am I the only one? We all get sidetracked in our priorities. We all get off track. And we all need a daily reminder about what is important, about our commitments. And so Titus and these other two brothers were going to Corinth just for that, a shepherding responsibility. They were going to help them get the offering ready if it was not ready. They were not going to beat them up. They were going to hold them accountable. They were going there to help them. And it would ensure that the Corinthians' intentions well, not just intentions, but it was actually going to prove that they actually loved the poor saints back in Jerusalem. Because good intentions mean nothing if there's no follow-through. I can say I love you. I can say I'm going to come help you move furniture. It's a good idea, but if I never come over, <laughs> what good is the good thought? It means nothing. So good intentions must have follow-through. And these brothers are going to help them do that. There's limits to our enthusiasm if it's not anchored in the firm foundation. There's a sugar high if it's not. No one knows this more than parents. If you got kids, you know this. Our kids get excited about everything. I'm excited about sports. I want to play basketball. Then a week later, I don't want to go to practice. I don't want to do it no more. But you, last week, you were excited about it. I know. I know. I just don't want to do it anymore. Mommy, I gotta have that new toy. This toy. If you get me this toy, I promise I'll never ever ask you for another toy as long as I live. Can you find the toy? Can you find it now? They no longer play with the toy. They can't even find it. They're on to another toy that they're excited about. And we get frustrated with our kids about it because we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We do the same thing. We're just like our kids. And that's why we get mad and frustrated with them when they do it. See, we all need daily reminders of our stewardship when it comes to stewardship in the church, of our time, our talent, and our treasure. Because life happens to all of us. Things come up. We get sidetracked. And so if me or one of the elders come to you about stewardship, 
Don't get defensive. Don't feel like we're beating you up. Don't feel like we're getting all in your business and all in your Kool-Aid. We coming because we care about you. We call you because we miss you if you're not here. We want to meet with you because we care about what's going on in your life. It's what it means to be shepherded. It's, part of, it's what it means to be part of a church. It's what it means to be under our shepherding ship. We, we're called to shepherd you. We are held accountable for how we shepherd this church. All your officers are. God is going to hold me accountable for how I shepherd you. Your elders will be held accountable for how they shepherd you. So make our job easy. Let us shepherd you. Paul says in verse 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you to arrange in advance the gift you had promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. See, Paul, again, he knew there was a possibility that they could misinterpret his intentions because he wanted them to give the gift as a willing gift, as a blessing, not as something they were being forced to do. And again, I find that funny because they're the ones that wrote him about giving money. And now he's concerned. They're going to think they've been forced to give it. I don't understand that either. But it shows us what sin can do to us. It shows us what life can do to us. They expressed enthusiasm to, on, on their part to participate. He wanted them to give it as a blessing. Not as something they were being forced to do. And that is at the heart of stewardship. I don't have, we don't want to, you have to be forced to give of your time. I don't want you to have to be forced to give of your treasure. I don't want you to have to be forced to give of your talents. But give them as a willing gift. Because you promised to do so when you joined the church. You promised to do so when you joined the church. So when I come to you, I'm just coming to remind you what you promised to do. Not calling you to do something you have not promised to do. This shows us, I think, what happens to enthusiasm when it's not anchored in a firm foundation. It can turn into resentment. Do you know what the opposite of enthusiasm is? Apathy. Indifference. That's what eventually will happen to enthusiasm if it's not anchored in the firm foundation. You go from being excited about the church to have to be apathy or indifferent about it because you're not anchored in anything. That, event, that will happen to all of us if we're not anchored in a sure source. And there are three things that our enthusiasm has to be anchored in. I call them three C's. Call, conviction, consistency. Call by the Father. Call him by the Father on your life to be here. You got to know that. You're called by the Father to be here. You're convicted by the Son to be a servant here. And there's a consistent work of the Spirit in your life who reminds you of the first two C's. Called by the Father to be here. Convicted by the Son to be a servant. And there's a consistent work of the Holy Spirit that reminds you of the other two C's. If your enthusiasm is not anchored in those things, it's just a sugar high. Just a sugar high. Because guess what? Church begins to happen. You begin to see people sin. You begin to see, man, you guys are messed up. Because I'm telling you, enthusiasm wears off. 
you got to go back to why are you really here? I'm called to be here. I'm convicted to be here. And the spirit is what's going to keep me here. So our enthusiasm has to be anchored in a sure foundation. Every Tuesday morning, um, there is a harvest ministry here. And, and, of course, we make that announcement every week. And if you've came before, it's a real special time because we sing all these old spirituals. And what I love about old spirituals, they are about hard times of life, man, if you ever come. The realities of, of life. And one of the guys that sing a lot, his name is Pap. He's an old saint. And this is the lyrics of one of the songs that he often sings. He says, it says, Well, I told the Lord I wanted a religion. A religion that will always stand. You know, he took me, he took me to a band of angels, angels, and he connected me to that band. And he said, you are rooted. He said, you are grounded. He said, you are hidden, died, buried in the name of Jesus. Oh, Lord, I'm rooted, I'm grounded, and I would never die no more. When you're enthusiasm about the things of God, they have to be rooted in God in order for it to be lasting. Rooted in Jesus. Because that's what's going to keep you here when conflict comes. Because it's going to come. You're going to sin against one another. You're going to hurt each other's feelings. It's going to happen. And I know folks come to the village church and they think, oh, it's cool, you're diverse, you got nice worship. But we are sinful people. And we are going to have our issues to work through. And we always got to go back to why are we here? Who brought us here? Because that will see us through whatever struggles that God's going to work, all the struggles that may come across our path. Your call, there's a conviction, there's a consistency, all anchored in your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father God, I know that even in myself, uh, as a pastor, uh, sometimes there's enthusiasm, sometimes it's not, particularly when I'm up at 1 o'clock writing sermons. There is no enthusiasm then, but I'm called. I'm called to this. I'm convicted to be this. And so I fulfill my role. And so, Father, I pray that each of us, regardless of where we are in life, the things that we're going through, that your spirit, Lord, will anchor our enthusiasm. When it comes to this church, when it comes to stewardship in this church, when it comes to our time, our talents, our treasures, that it be anchored in a true foundation. Because if it's not, it's just a sugar rush, it's going to wear off. You're going to crash and burn if it's not. So assure all of us, Lord, of, of our calling, of our conviction and the consistency, that you would do that to the praise of your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.